Welcome to the Canna Curio podcast powered by Cannabis Media. We're your hosts, Amanda Guerrero and Ed Keating. As you all can see, we are now coming to you live with a video. Uh, We've decided to make some changes to the show here in 2021, one of them being bringing our voices to and our faces together as one. Uh, Today's show is going to be a lot of fun. We've got Lisa Jordan from Canna Advisors. She's our VP of marketing. She's their VP of marketing uh, and one of our loyal subscribers. Uh, As always, I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Ed Keating, who is our chief data officer and this is our first show of 2021 uh but as always we're going to check in with the data vault uh ed what have we learned this week so uh in terms of the data vaults a few interesting things happened uh through the month of january and even late december so rhode island to many people's surprises issuing new dispensary licenses and they uh, may be issuing up to six the interesting thing there is sort of how they're going to charge and pay for it. So we're keeping an eye on that. They released the list Christmas Eve. And then a few weeks later, they released the applications on like a late Friday night. So we've been going through them trying to get information uh, about these applicants into the system. We've also been creating a lot more Oklahoma companies as we go through all 9,000 or so licenses so that we can link all that information together. And then we're spending a lot of time refreshing Colorado data um, to make that more useful, easy to use, et cetera. So uh, definitely a lot going on from the data team as we kicked off 2021. Is that cannabis and hemp data from Colorado or just cannabis? Uh, the Hemp data is sort of an ongoing set of updates. So it's mostly the cannabis uh, work that we've done to make sure that we have you know, trade names aligned. And uh, we're also working to get more information on expiration dates. It's a little bit harder to find that. You have to dig deeper. But uh, we're working to make sure that we have that up to date so that we can you know, share that with our customers, especially those who are trying to verify licenses when they expire with our verification APIs. And I know uh, last year we talked extensively about the market growth within Oklahoma, California, and Michigan. I just want to see any predictions. Do you think they're still going to be our market leaders? Well, uh, great point. I'm going to focus in on Oklahoma. So one of the blog posts I'm working on is to compare how many licenses were there on January 1, 2020 versus, you know, what have we found this year? And interestingly... It appears that there's been a decline in the number of dispensaries in Oklahoma. So, really, and, and we've even netted this out that they renew their licenses with um, a lot of uh, grace periods where they'll you know let people go for a bit. But just even looking at the state uh, information, it is a smaller number than it was, despite them issuing a whole bunch of licenses last year. So it'll be interesting to keep an eye on those and, and see where they didn't renew and, and whatnot. So um, it'll be curious. I, I, I think maybe they've reached saturation point and we may see licenses leveling instead of just increasing. I, I, I'm pretty sure we predicted that Q1 2021 was going to be the point of saturation for Oklahoma. Of course we I'm, did. I'm yes. pretty sure we, we did. We're prescient, I'm sure. No <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thanks so much for that update, Ed. Uh, As I mentioned, we're going to be joined by Lisa Jordan, VP Marketing of Canna Advisors. Uh, Lisa, hello, hello. Thank you for joining us as our first guest of 2021. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Ed. Happy to be here. We're so happy to have you. Um, So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Lisa. You've been with the Canna Advisors team for uh, a few years now. Um, 
and you've been within the industry for a few years, what would you say is the most valuable lesson that you've learned here in the space by either personal or professional? Yeah, and I think the personal and the professional overlap a good bit. And, you know, I'm in year four in, in cannabis after a long career in, in the corporate world. Um, and the main thing I would say I've learned is there's this friendly collaboration. You know, in, in the corporate world, there's only competition. There's no friendly competition. It's dog eat dog. It's every person for themselves. And what I've seen in cannabis is even if companies compete, there is this warm um, sense of collaboration and everybody working together with the same interest, which is bringing cannabis to more places across the country and bringing the plant to more people. So I, I really appreciate that element of working in this industry. I love that. And uh, especially to, you know, the camaraderie, I myself have also been, you know, in the industry for um, almost six years, it'll be six years in uh, March. But uh, what I really appreciate is that, you know, I started my career kind of here within the cannabis space, and I didn't really get I've had some exposure to corporate environments, but nothing really um, as consistent as the professional experience I've had here. And one of the things that I always especially from recruiting, would always hear from candidates was that this industry is such a breath of fresh air and that there's so much room for uh, collaboration, for opportunity, for business, um, new business ideas to, to grow simply because of the fact that we're not afraid to put down our egos and to collaborate on and make something great. Um, now you just released your California guide, uh, and I love the, the, the headline. It was, you know, California is not dead. Right. Uh, tell us a little bit more uh, about that. Yeah. The question we hear a lot is, is California still viable? You know, a lot of people look at the market, they have a lot of questions. They think there's no room. And, and our answer is absolutely. It's viable. You have to be um, precise. You have to understand the data behind it. You have to understand all the intricacies of the state level and the local level. And what we really advise people and what the guide says is really look at the local level. You know, at least 26 municipalities have some level of activity going on as we come into this new year. And so that's really where the opportunity is and it changes every day. So you've got to really stay on top of it. Yeah, the, the California market is been a fascinating one for cannabis media. I know when we first started, you know, getting the inkling that California was going to come online back in 17, you know, we had done a lot of research and I think had uh, gone through about all 535 jurisdictions at the time to figure out who had licenses, who didn't. And what we learned back then was a lot of places said, we don't want any licenses. Actually, uh, quite a large portion of California. So I think it's interesting. And I, I think your report shows that more localities are starting to open up. Is that right? Right. That's right. Yeah. So in terms of how you can help people, it's sort of a good segue uh, from what I've learned over the years about Ken Advisors is that you offer a really broad array of services, business strategy, strategic license application, SOPs, et cetera. I'm kind of curious, you know, how has, how has the mix changed? Because in the five and a half years that I've been in the industry, get new states coming on board, just a, a, a lot of uh, craziness. And let's not forget, you know, COVID in 2020. So how is the mix of what you offer change in these years? 
Yeah, the mix has really um, stayed constant in terms of where our sweet spot is and what we're known for. And that's really working with entrepreneurs as they're starting to get into the industry. That's, you know, as early as when states start to have some rumblings that there may be some legislative action. And that's really when we start working with clients is those early exploration phases, working on business plans and financial models so that when the applications do become available, they're ready and they're ahead of their competition. And then we move into the license application phase. So that being our main focus and what we're known for mm -hmm. and where we have a lot of success has made remain constant the other pieces come in as you know our clients get up and running then with more compliance and sure. build out and those kinds of things so definitely work with clients across the spectrum of the phases of business but our sweet spot is certainly in that early phase work so lisa when you hear those rumblings in the state that somebody may be you know creating a new rec program or medical program do you pick the clients? Do the clients pick you? How, how does that happen? Yeah, that's a good question. And, you know, we like to be on the ground early. You know, we talk about can advisors building the industry and our founding partners, you know, are involved as, um, you know, advocates and investors and entrepreneurs themselves. And so the advocacy piece is really an early part of work. So when we hear those rumblings, we like to get on the ground start being involved with the campaigns, with the leadership, with the communities. Um, for example, uh, Jay Zarkowski, one of our founding partners and I went to Mississippi about a year and a half ago while that campaign was unfolding. And we met with all of the campaign leads and really just, you know, with no agenda other than just being on the ground and helping share the advice and, and wisdom that, you know, Jay has seen throughout his years in the industry. So that's where we like to start. And then it just builds from there. It's interesting because, you know, what you're talking about is something that we've talked a lot about on the pod in that in some ways you have all the attributes of a well-run MSO. You have operations or expertise in many states and markets. So when you come to Mississippi or wherever, you've been at it for a long time. I mean, uh, you know, Jay was on that first license in Boulder or whatever all those years ago. I mean, to, to have that longitudinal uh, history of success in lots of markets and programs, I imagine helps when you show up and start talking to the people running the programs on the ground. Right. We've just become their sounding board. And they say, what if we try this? Or what have you seen work with this regulation or with this approach? And so they're all ears at that point. And that's what we see is, is really helpful in, in shaping how things roll out. Mm -hmm. Now, um, I was going to ask in, in terms of the other services that you offer, especially since we have uh, Amanda with us, is what about recruitment and, and building the team? Like as you start to figure out like, hey, the state is going to move ahead. Yes, they have license applications in the works. We know what they look like. How early do you have to help people build these teams? And, you know, uh, Amanda, you've come from this world. So I'd be curious as to your thoughts and expertise as well. You know, one thing we see often is that our clients don't understand just how early they have to start thinking about their team. And it's a really vital element of that pre-license and pre-application phase. You can't start once you get your license because if you don't have your team in place, you're probably not going to win your license. 
So that's what we see as, as a surprising element for people you know, who are just coming in for the first time is that the structure of the team is vital and getting the right people into those positions is a, a very critical factor for success. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that was uh, one of the the sweet spots that um, uh, we, when I was working recruitment, that we had capitalized on. Um, you know, especially a few years back when you know new markets were coming online like more frequently, and we were able to see uh, businesses start prioritizing high-level recruits or, you know, like uh, uh, really um, top-notch recruits to join their company and, you know, giving them incentives like, hey, sign an agreement with us, start in isn't for another six, 12 months, but we really want to lock you in. Here's a bonus. Here's something to entice you. Here's like a consulting agreement to keep you going with us because it is super competitive. Um, and that competition has not slowed down even with COVID in 2020. You know, a lot of these, uh, if you guys are listening and you're looking at uh, uh, applying for new markets, um, definitely start thinking about your recruitment strategy and, and how you want to uh, build out your team and what skill sets you need to identify or and hire um, because it can make or break the success of of your opening. Right, and I agree, Amanda. You know, competition for those really top talent is fierce, and you know when people are trying to find their director of cultivation or their CFO or the people who really um, make it the people who really business. matter. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. So where Can Advisors really comes in is helping structure the team, identifying gaps, saying here are the people you've got to have on day one, here are the people who will help you win your license. And then we also have a, a sister recruiting company called H2 Talent that Jay Zarkowski is also involved in that really then helps find, even for that pre-application phase, the talent to plug into all of those critical roles. Yeah. Now, um, I have a question, you know, about some of the markets that you had worked in previously, uh, you know, over the last four years, um, you know, would you say that there is a market or that you are specifically, um, you know, like still involved with or continue like want to keep an eye on um, moving forward? Yeah, we're coming up on 32 states that we've worked with. You know, it's, uh, South, South Dakota and Mississippi are coming online. That clicks over to 32 states for us. So yeah, we worked all across, plus uh, some international areas as well. And, you know, when we look at everywhere we've worked, um, we like going back to markets where we were early on, like the East Coast markets, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, you know, all of those markets where we had early success in the medical markets, and then they're coming back with adult use then we love to come back and, and continue those relationships. Like um, last year in Missouri, for example, we you know, worked with and won a record number of licenses in Missouri. So we definitely want to stay in that market, stay in touch with those relationships that we've you know, cultivated and developed. And then as that state comes back and considers adult use, we definitely want to come back in and, and continue to be involved. Yeah. So, um, Lisa, you talked about some of the preparation of getting feet on the ground and, and, and really you know, working with the, the stakeholders in the state. I'm curious if you could share what might make for an attractive market, because from what we've seen, especially in the license schemes, they're very different. One of my favorite contrasts is that most of us know that to get a license in Oklahoma is about twenty five hundred dollars. However, earlier in the pod, I mentioned that Rhode Island is, is you know, putting licenses out there and those go for approximately $500,000 and uh, even more crazy. They had one plan where 
over 60% of the revenue would go to the state and then 20% to the operator and 10% to the town or something like that. So very different. So, you know, as you and your team look at, at markets, you know, what's attractive and maybe what's not attractive? Right. We have a, a phrase around the office and of course the number continues to change, but it's, you know, 30 states, 30 sets of regulations, you know, 30 sets of, of operating uh, differences. And, you know, our answer is there's a place for everybody. And it just depends on where your risk tolerance is, where your experience level is, where your level of capital is. And that's really where we can help clients even before they become like a, a full-fledged client. We can do hourly consultations with people and really probe into those areas. You know, what's your capitalization? What's your risk factor? And by looking at all of those elements, people can really find where they fit. So for some people that will be in markets that have no caps on licenses because of the way that operates. And for others, it'll be in the, the super competitive places like in Georgia, where there will be very few licenses offered at first. And it really just kind of depends on the objectives and the experience of, of the people that are involved. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And you know, it'll be interesting as more of these states and more of these programs mature, they will be able to track you know, how much does a license sell for? Like we see what happens in Florida, which is a pretty amazing market where now there's approximately 300 dispensaries that have been issued by the few handfuls of licenses there or New York state where there's, you know, once again, like, you know, 10 active licenses with four stores each, very small versus Oklahoma. And, and you know, we've talked a little bit about Mississippi and I think you've got, uh, you know, past connections to Mississippi. I've read that that's going to be a no license cap state, or at least one of the articles I saw. So uh, I'll be curious to see. And, and you know, I imagine as, as you guys decide which markets to choose, um, those limited ones, I would imagine must be, you know, way, way more pressure. Right. There is more pressure. There's more at stake. You know, there's more at risk. And, you know, when I just described where markets fit, I was really thinking about from a client perspective, but when we look at from a can advisor's perspective, which markets do we work in? You know, it does vary whether it's a competitive limited license state um, like Georgia or like so many others in Missouri, or whether it's like Mississippi and Oklahoma where there will be no caps. And, and you're right, Ed, I do have a background in Mississippi. I grew up there, went to undergrad and grad school there. And so, you know, I had a personal interest and, you know, small as our team is, we're about 20 plus people. We have two people from Mississippi on our team. So we're, you know, rooting really hard to, to see that come through in a very conservative state. Um, but, you know, the work for us in those states without caps, like Mississippi, um, is not so much in the license application space because our value isn't really there um, for the level of service that would be required for competitive app. So what we do in those days without caps is work more on those super early phases of business plans and financial models, helping people understand where is their opportunity, where is their fit and help them really shape their business for success. And then when they get to the application, they don't need us for that. So, you know, where we do provide value for the application is when it is highly limited, where there is a lot of competition. And that's really where we help people figure out what's your path to winning. Great, great. Um, yeah, it's uh, definitely a uh, good guidance for people who are trying to figure out how to 
move the way forward. And, you know, as you're looking forward to the handful of states that changed their programs or, or created programs in November, any ones that you think are going to be super interesting or challenging uh, because the regs are now coming out and, and the schedules are coming out and we're starting to see, you know, when licenses may actually pop out of some of these places. Yeah, I think they'll, they'll each have their own unique set of challenges and unique set of, of opportunities. You know, I think the Mississippi timeline is really aggressive and, you know, they, it's the first time through it for them. And, you know, hopefully they've learned from, from some other states and have a good set, but to meet their timelines for rolling out the program, they've got to move really quickly. So I think those are some challenges. And the other ones are, are really, you know, fighting through the gridlock um, yeah, right. to, to make it a reality. Yeah, yeah. I, I, as I mentioned earlier, I just did a blog post on this and was just looking at the information available in terms of those timelines. And like, for example, looking at New Jersey, I really don't know what's going to happen. Uh, because the, those lawsuits look like they could really uh, get in the way or then in, uh, in, uh, in South Dakota where they may be, you know, throwing the whole uh, referendum uh, up in the air. So those states are really hard to predict, whereas the other ones, I think you're right, they, they've been aggressive and, and sort of like Missouri, they're putting a, a line in the sand saying, this is our schedule and this is how we're going to roll this program out. And I, I think by doing that, they're being transparent and holding themselves accountable. So um, I think, uh, both our companies will be keeping an eye on how this uh, plays out. Yeah, absolutely. And, and things too come in, Ed, like capitalization, you know, and you talked about lawsuits and, and delays and schedules and that sort of thing. That's one thing that we see clients be surprised about is just how overcapitalized you have to be because you've got to be able to, to sustain any sorts of delays and, and not be hamstrung by cash flow or, or cash, cash availability. So that, Overcapitalization is one way for clients to weather through any sorts of delays or hiccups or, or lawsuits that may pop up as they go through the process. Right. And maybe that's why Florida back in the day required you to have a $5 million bond to yeah. put the application yeah. down. And I think one guy flew in his jet or helicopter to get there, you know, minutes before the deadline to make sure that uh, his check was received on time. So, yeah. Some of those submission stories are, are great. So we'll, we'll save all those stories for another time. <laughs> I love it. Well, I mean, we've talked extensively, you know, about uh, your guys' work within licensing and, you know, where you're most effective within the market and at what point. Um, and I I'm curious, Lisa, how would an organization like yours best utilize our platform? Because it's not really biz dev, is it? It is partially biz dev. And, and I think a lot of our lines are blurred and especially in an industry that is so new and developing and when our, our teams are so lean and mean. Um, I, I think it is biz dev and it is, it is marketing. And, you know, we work very closely internally with our marketing team and our biz dev team. And where we really see the value in cannabis media is reaching people that we wouldn't otherwise. And we know exactly who they are through the, your filters and, and the great tools that are available. Um, you know, we have a pretty robust in-house list that we've built over time from people who've engaged with us for whatever reasons. But most of those people are, are ones who want to get into the industry. They're not in the industry yet. And so being able to come to the cannabis media database and supplement that list, the house list of, of, you know, people that are aspirational 
with the people who are already operational, it really gives us the other side of the coin to really go out and find that other set of people that we wouldn't engage with otherwise. I love it. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, it really is. It's business development, marketing and research within, you know, all in one. Um, And for you guys too, you know, I I definitely um, can appreciate not only just being able to identify, you know, new opportunities, but that you guys are both utilizing. We're not your main source. You are both utilizing your in-house tools and utilizing us in congruency. um, And I can appreciate that. Um, Now, looking at 2021, we were talking a little bit about New Jersey, but you know, New York, the regulations there, they just released that within the last 72 hours. They're not allowing home grow. I know in some of the markets that you've worked in, that was a, a champion uh, requirement uh, for some of the, these markets. Um, what do you think? Do you, do you think that's going to continue to be a trend as uh, we see these new regs uh, pop up? You know, I, what we see is every state likes to put their own stamp or their own signature on their own program. So I think that will continue. I think what ultimately gets approved and, and put in place as the program, I think it's kind of anybody's guess. You know, a lot of times you'll see things that are out in public and, and visible. And then right. what comes out at the end has a completely different element that hasn't been so visible yet. So I, I think you know, maybe anybody's guess. I think we can all predict, you know, based on experience and then, you know, things, surprises pop out at the end. Well, I think too, for, for New York, from what I've read is this is a bit of a trial balloon. You know, they're putting some of these things out there because that may be one that they can perhaps negotiate away or, or make that happen because uh, it said no home growth for med or adult use. And I, I think that kind of surprised people. But it was also shown, I think, last year that there was a lot of lobbying by, I think, some of the existing MSOs in the state against home grow, or, you know, trying to make sure it stayed criminalized. And, uh, and that's not going to set well with people. Um, and I think they'll also have uh, a lot of social equity issues because uh, some people were concerned sort of doing the math that there wasn't enough going back to the communities or, and I, and I don't know if they got into how the licenses would be issued yet. Um, the other controversy I saw, or some thought it was controversy, was one agency would be responsible for managing both hemp and cannabis, which uh, is sort of unique, at least as I think across the, uh, the country. I don't know if either of you have, have you know, heard that on the New York side. No, I haven't seen that, but I can only imagine that if that actually turns out to be a successful business model, that over the next few years, we're going to start seeing uh, uh, the bridges being more structured between cannabis right. and Right, same plant, different percentage, done, right? <laughs> exactly, literally, just let's throw it into the business, let's just throw it into our services, throw it into the the gambit of all the things that we can, we can do. Um, now, Ed, you did bring up a really good point about social equity. And that's not something that we've talked about um, too much here on the show. But Lisa, um, put you on the spot. Are you are you guys actively having conversations in new markets with uh, applicants about social equity or working with uh, lobbying for, uh, you know, more open, fair practices within uh, the, the cannabis industry? Yeah, from an advocacy standpoint, the social equity element absolutely lines up with our culture and our philosophy and, and really wanting to see that impact on the industry. And in some states, like Illinois, for example, we were able to do some matchmaking, if you will, with clients 
So um, we may have some social equity applicants come to us who may not have all the other components that they need to win, but we have other clients who have the other elements of capital or property, but they don't have social equity people to plug in. So we've been able to marry those people and, and make different partnerships that, you know, hit all of the elements to be successful there. Yeah, one of the things that we're seeing on the on the data side is uh, Massachusetts does a very good job of sharing what kind of social equity component may have been in an applicant's uh, application sort of, sort of for these final people, you know, are veteran owned, women owned, LGBTQ, et cetera. So, so we actually just put a lot of that information into uh, our app in terms of news stories um, or insights about licenses. It's, it's not data that we're putting into the database yet, but it probably will be because I also noticed that um, Colorado is likely to be uh, issuing some information on licensed applicants that came through, um, I think it's like a, an incubator and it almost sounds like it, it may have come out of uh, MED, I'm not sure, but uh, I'm hoping that they'll be able to share their licenses that have been impacted by this because if we can get enough states to uh, share that information, we can start tracking the cannabis media so that for people who are trying to get an understanding of where these licenses are, maybe how they're doing, um, you know, we'd like to be the source for all things license-based and that's a really important one. Yeah, I yeah, could that be, would be helpful for us for sure. And it's, it's definitely a, an element that's important to us um, personally. And then we also see it's important for our clients. So it, I, I would find that helpful as part of the data database. Wonderful. Well, uh, Lisa, we've so appreciated having you on the show today. Uh, thank you so much for being our first guest of 2021 and uh, setting the dar for the rest of our guests this season. Um, we really hope that uh, we get to see you sometime in 2021. Trade shows maybe are coming back at Q4, Q3. We've made some predictions before and they've come true. So I'm saying yeah. it. Q4, we're going to see some trade shows and hopefully we'll, we'll get to see you there as well. Yeah, hopefully. I'd, I'd love to see you in person. And, you know, in, in the COVID time, tools like Cannabis Media are even more important to us because other places where we've seen success have kind of fallen away, like the trade shows and speaking engagements. So digital media has become more important and your tool has definitely helped us um, amp up those efforts this year. Thanks, Lisa. We really appreciate that and appreciate you. How, uh, well, Ed, thank you uh, for another great show. Here we are. Um, let's take an, a quick look ahead at what we've got uh, in store from the, the Data Vault next week. All right. So uh, as I sort of referenced already, we've got a few things coming up. Um, so the year-end observations uh, are coming out in terms of different license types. So where we've seen growth and whatnot. So we'll do one for uh, dispensaries, retailers, one for uh, cultivation, and one for manufacturing, because those are the ones that people really seem to care about. But just sort of showing where did we see growth? Where do we see, you know, in some cases, maybe declines? Um, and then also- in Oklahoma. Well, right, right, exactly. Um, and also looking at the rules and regulations from some of the new programs we talked to Lisa about. So what, what do those timelines look like? And where do we have situations where the timelines are perhaps unclear because there is uh, a lot of tumult at the state house or with the legislatures where they're sort of backtracking on some of the things that uh, they appear to have promised earlier, like, you know, look at New Jersey. So, uh, so a lot going on there. And uh, we're, we're looking forward to uh, a very uh, interesting 2021. 
Yes, we are. Thank you so much. Uh, all right, everyone. That's our show. Uh, this is the Canna Curio podcast powered by Cannabis Media. This is our first video recording. Uh, I'm really excited about it. And uh, you guys should just stay tuned for more updates from the Data Vault. Thanks. <laughs>